0: From Toronto, Canada, The
1: Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler, hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told and you are among friends. Hope you're enjoying your summer thus far. Uh, We certainly are. We're trying to make every minute count. Uh, Earlier this week, I took the boys uh, to see the Moody Blues uh, perform their 1967 opus, Days of Future Past. And they were accompanied by a fabulous uh, full orchestra. Uh, This is the the 50th anniversary of a lot of great classic rock albums. And uh, we're kind of in a race against time. Uh, to see as many of these bands as we can before they uh, they hang it up for good. All right, let's get down to business. Our panel tonight, Alicia Powell from WND and Joel Skousen from World Affairs Brief are standing by to discuss North Korea and uh, whether the U- U.S. should keep the nuclear option on the table. Of course, uh, they recently launched an intercontinental ballistic missile, their first, and uh, Kim Jong-un, Uh, is um, boasting, bragging, that uh, they can now reach anywhere in the world with a nuclear warhead. Uh, Then, the ethical, legal, and social issues, arriving from tremendous advances in the biosciences, namely, designer babies. Hank Greeley will join us. He's a professor of law focusing on genetics at Stanford University. And uh, he says that within 30 years, we will no longer have sex to procreate. It'll all be done in a lab, using gene splicing and so forth. It's scary stuff. Starting to sound a little Hitlerian to me. Uh, what's in the box, of course? Our weekly remote viewing experiment, Mailbag. Uh, then, how to avoid genetically modified organisms. Jeffrey Smith, the author of Seeds of Deception, will be here. Uh, Some big news as well uh, regarding Monsanto and a a, uh, decision by the state of California. We'll share that with you. Our two open lines, and then our paranormal investigator, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, will be here with a look at some strange and weird stories in the news. Rob Lowe, actor Rob Lowe, recently had an encounter, he says, with Bigfoot. We'll also uh, go into the archives and um, dust off an interesting story, Uh, a Soviet... Circus Clown, who tried to prove that dogs are psychic. We'll discuss that with Rosemary as well. All right, until then, let's say hi to the boys in the band on the Gibson Flying V guitar, my technical producer, Ian Robertson. Good evening, Ian, Uh, on the other uh, side of the uh, glass. And uh, here in studio on the Rickenbacker bass guitar, and occasionally the theremin, my story producer, Albert Vinzel. And uh, on the Hammond B3, feature producer, Ryan White. Now, just ahead of the panel, uh, let's see if any of you skilled remote viewers out there can tell me what's in the box. Now, here are your coordinates. To my left is a large cigar box. It's sitting on the desk here in the studio at Zoomer Radio, 70 Jefferson Avenue, in the Liberty Village neighborhood of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, All right, those are your coordinates. Now, allow the shape and the texture and the size and the color of the object to form in your mind. Now, don't guess. Don't think. Let it come to you. All right, tweet me your answers. At Richard Serrett, S-Y-R-E-T-T, at Richard Serrett. Use the hashtag TCSRemote. T-C-S, as in the conspiracy show, remote. Hashtag TCS remote. The winner will receive some fabulous uh, Conspiracy Show merchandise. And if you don't win, let me uh, encourage you to visit the online store at theconspiracyshow.com. If you're a fan of the show, why not to show it off and, and buy a, a mug or a T-shirt or a phone case and help support our work at the same time. Again, the online store is at theconspiracyshow.com. Uh, last Tuesday... It was uh, confirmed that the rogue Stalinist state of North Korea had fired an intercontinental intercontinental ballistic missile. The uh, North Korea state-run Korean Central News Agency said its new intercontinental ballistic missile, the Hwasong-14, was capable of hitting the heart of the United States with large, heavy nuclear warheads. The launch, according to the agency, successfully tested the functions of the missile's two propulsive stages and the warhead's ability to endure the intense heat and vibrations as it entered the Earth's atmosphere. Wednesday morning, North Korea's leader, Kim Jong-un, taunted the United States, saying the launch was a Fourth of July gift to the Trump administration. And, of course, predictably, the U.S. administration followed up that warning on Wednesday morning with a joint military exercise in which the United States and South Korean forces fired ballistic missiles in the waters along the Korean Peninsula's east coast. And the U.S. administration also made it clear to Pyongyang that the United States would use, quote, the full range of capabilities at our disposal against the growing threat. Question. Should that full range of capabilities include the nuclear option? Joel Skousen is the publisher of the World Affairs Brief, a weekly news analysis service. Joel, welcome once again to the Conspiracy Show. How are you?
0: I'm just fine, thank you. It's good to be with you, Richard.
1: Likewise. And Alicia Pau is a political reporter with World Net Daily. She's written for numerous outlets, including Human Events, Media Research Center, Town Hall. She worked in the War Room of the Rudy Giuliani Presidential Committee and served as a White House intern during the George W. Bush administration. Alicia Powell, welcome to you once again. How are you?
2: Hi, thank you for having me
1: again. My pleasure. Let's start with you, Joel. How close is North Korea from having the capability to deliver nuclear warheads to North America?
0: Well, no one really knows because the uh, the nuclear tests that they perform performed so far have been very muted, uh, either indicating extreme masking or um, insufficient power uh, in terms of uh, detonation. Uh, and they've never taken a warhead downrange, uh, an indication of... Uh, the power of a missile to lift a heavy warhead. And by the way, the missile that was uh, launched there, the so-called Intercontinental Ballistic Missile, was really only an intermediate-range missile with two stages. It takes three to get uh, true international range uh, to where North Korea is saying it should reach to.
1: Alicia, is the time for talk over with North Korea? We had eight years of... Uh, Well, even prior to that, with uh, the with the Clinton administration, a lot of talk. We, uh, you know, Dennis Rodman would pop over there occasionally. (laughs) I'm not sure exactly what good that did. Uh, Is is there any room now for negotiation, or does the United States basically have to respond to the next test firing militarily?
2: There, this is a a problem that if we don't, we're going to have to do something. We're going to have to go to war because it's basically inevitable. That a country that tortures its own people, and and in ways that you know are, are unima- unimaginable, you know, of course, it's it's a cancer for the earth, and it's eventually, you know, gonna they're, they're gonna attack us if we don't aggressively address the situation. So negotiation? What do you you can't negotiate with communists. Um,
1: all right, we have... My, my, well. my toddler is locked in the door. Okay, all right. Uh, Joel, I mean, are, are, are trade sanctions, I mean, have they have they been used to their fullest extent, really, at this point?
0: Uh, no, they have not, because China basically has uh, has always allowed those trade sanctions to be bypassed, both in banking, both in trade, and, of course, in the secret military uh, technology, which North Korea has also bought parts from... Uh, Western sources as well, though they aren't specific parts to a rocket, but there have been Western parts in rockets that have been found in the sea.
1: Well, 90% of of the goods, in my understanding, is 90% of the goods that, that North Korea requires to operate essentially comes through, through China. They've choked off their oil supply. Um, so, I mean, is... Rather than, uh, um, Alicia was indicating that uh, some sort of a military preemptive is inevitable here, and we're in a race against time, do you see it that way, or do you still think that we can, if trade sanctions are put in place, uh, really stringent trade sanctions, that that could still have an effect?
0: I don't believe that sanctions will work because uh, we have no way of verifying if China is, in fact, choking off all supplies or secretly supplying, as they have done in the past. You've got to remember that North Korea is, has been prepared for many years to be the trigger event of World War III, and that's why China has allowed uh, the appearance of a crazy man to be in charge. I mean, what better excuse to start World War III than a crazy man? It's not our fault. It's that crazy man, Kim Jong-un. We tried to rein him in. But, you know, that's just not true. I mean, they uh, they are trying, I will say, since the Trump administration uh, has threatened uh, military action against uh, North Korea, which uh, none of the globalist presidents, George W. Bush or Barack Obama, would have done. They always played patsy with North Korea. They always looked the other way uh, compared to Iran, who doesn't even have a nuclear weapon and who has uh, received many, many more threats uh, than North Korea. Um, but... Uh, This is the problem that the globalists are facing, is that Trump, after his hair-trigger reaction to a phony uh, intelligence about a chemical attack by Syria uh, in uh, in northern Syria, I mean, it did not happen, and he was uh, lied to by his intelligence. He struck North Korea, or he struck uh, Syria, and he immediately went after North Korea, threatened to do so. And so you've got to remember that China is working overtime to stop the Trump administration. Now, Kim Jong-un has foreclosed any room for negotiation by saying that his missile system and his nuclear program is not negotiable. So what's there to negotiate about? is absolutely right. It's inevitable that we're going to clash with North Korea. We have to take it down. And the sooner, the better, because if you wait, then China and Russia would be ready to come and back up North Korea and use it as the trigger event to uh, create World War III. And they're not ready yet. That's why they're working overtime to stop Trump from, um, you know, uh, doing a preemptive strike into North Korea. And I don't believe the nuclear option is on the table for that strike. I think it will be limited to hitting missile sites, fuel uh, manufacturing, and fuel depot sites, and perhaps tunnel entrances to their underground nuclear program, uh, trusting that uh, you know uh, Kim Jong Un may not. Be ready to go on a full-scale war status in retaliation.
1: Joel Skousen, publisher editor of World Affairs Brief. Alicia Powell, political reporter with WND. Uh, Alicia, what about the nuclear options? Does that remain on the table, or do you concur with with Joel Joel that uh, that a, a non-nuclear a preemptive strike is is more likely? Well, you
2: know, I think we're going to have to <laughs> we're going to have to bomb the, bomb this country. There's going to have to be you know nuclear weapons involved or mean, you know there's not really much options here you talk about george w bush and he has uh this constant talk about human freedom right and if you look at the globe the most the the most deprived and and the most inhumane circumstances are taking place in north korea just watch documentaries about what's going on in this country these people are programmed in the, the prize of freedom and the mo- and, 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 and ways that aren't really, you know, we can't imagine as Americans and as people who live in a free world. And if we don't do something, so, so if you, if you care about human life and human freedom, that's one reason why, not just only because North Korea is a threat to us, this needs to be adequately addressed. And it's long overdue to the fact, you know, and, 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 and war and human life is the cost of us becoming a more enlightened race, I mean, human, as, as a human race, okay, because we can sit and turn the other cheek, but uh, we, like we see with ISIS, like we see with uh, radical but, extremists in the middle of the But, but Alicia, if,
1: but if a, a nuclear strike on, on Korea, North Korea, we have just across the border, we have 25 million um, South Koreans in Seoul, There's going to be some retaliatory measure. I mean, this would have catastrophic consequences. Unbelievable. We're out of time, uh, unfortunately. And look
2: at the catastrophic consequences that will be if North Korea, all the missiles that they're coming over here that have been thwarted, thanks to Ronald Reagan's ingenious Star Wars, uh, you know, uh, we have the means to thwart all the weapons that they've they've tried to, to send over here. But if we don't, Right. All right. What well, about the catastrophic life that we lose in the United States?
1: All right, we'll have to leave it there. Alicia Powell, how can we follow you on Twitter?
2: I'm at Alicia underscore Powell on Twitter, and you can follow me on Facebook and follow my reports at World WorldNancyElly.
1: Alicia, thank you so much. Joel, how do we subscribe to World Affairs Brief?
0: My website is worldaffairsbrief.com, and people can get a free sample issue by edi- uh, emailing me at editor at worldaffairsbrief.com.
1: Alicia, Joel, thank you so much.
0: Thank
2: you. Good
1: night. When we come back, a Stanford law professor focusing on genetics says within 30 years we will no longer use sex to procreate. Stay with us.
0: You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett.
1: Welcome back. Coming up at the uh, bottom of the hour, the results of our weekly remote viewing experiment, What's in the Box? And, of course, Mailbag. We'll dip into the mailbag. And then... After that, Jeffrey Smith, author of Seeds of Deception, will be here to discuss GMOs. A Stanford University law professor says within 30 years, we will no longer use sex to procreate. He believes the reproductive process will commence with parents choosing from a range of embryos created in a lab with their DNA. Uh, Hank Greeley specializes in the ethical, legal, and social implications of new biomedical technologies, particularly those related to neuroscience, genetics, or stem cell research. He chairs the steering committee for the Stanford Center for Biomedical Ethics and directs both the Law School Center for Law and the Biosciences and the Stanford Program in Neuroscience and Society. Hank Greeley, welcome. Thank you so much.
3: Thank you. My pleasure.
1: My first thought is, uh, isn't this already happening? Isn't this technology already available? Aren't we already essentially creating uh, human life in a lab uh, and um, toying around with, with the DNA?
3: That's Yes, that's great. Almost nobody pays any attention to the fact that 5 to 10 million people around the world have been born as a result of IVF, which did not involve sexual intercourse. And another unknown number of people have been born as a result of artificial insemination, which also didn't involve sexual intercourse. So the idea of making babies without actually having to have sex is not new. What will be new, I think, in the next 20 to 40 years is it will increase dramatically in popularity because people will be able to make about 100 embryos, have each one completely genetically tested, learn whatever genetics can tell them about those embryos, and then choose which embryos to turn into their babies. The key breakthrough will be taking skin cells and making them into what are called induced pluripotent stem cells, something that's been done for 10 years, and then turning those into eggs or eggs and sperm and avoiding the expensive, unpleasant, and risky process of egg harvest.
1: What well, we now have... Uh, embryos uh, being developed in in labs in in Britain. Britain, I believe, uh, the first uh, time we had a uh, an embryo with more than one father. We have the the CRISPR gene editing capability, where we can go in and and uh, uh, shut off certain uh, gene sequences, which could be you know have tremendous benefits in terms of uh, you know ridding the world of certain diseases and so forth. Um, but when people are going to use that to decide what hair color, what, uh, what height, what artistic ability their child will have. It's all starting to sound to me like a little bit of boys from Brazil and, and Hitler's uh-huh. quest to create a master race. Are you, are you not at all concerned where this is heading?
3: Yeah, I'm a little concerned about it. My book, The End of Sex, doesn't argue for it or against it. It says, I think accurately, this is what's coming. This is what we need to think about. This is why it's coming, and these are the issues we need to be concerned about. My own guess is most people will use embryo selection, and I focus on embryo selection instead of embryo editing because it's been done for 27 years. It'll just get easier and easier and better and better. People will use embryo selection for the most part to try to avoid the one to two percent of babies who are born with a serious genetic disease that could have been predicted. And you know, in in the U.S., that's four million babies are born every year. 1% 1% to 2% is 40,000 to 80,000 kids condemned to a terrible quality of life because of a genetic disease. Parents will want to avoid that, I think. They will also be able to find out about hair color, eye color, boy or girl. They'll be able to find out a little bit about intelligence, ability, music ability, but my own guess is not very much because those are too complicated. Maybe they'll be able to say, this embryo has a, chance of being in the top half and a 13% chance of being in the top 10%. But I don't think it'll be much different than that. But, you know, that's an empirical question, and time will tell. Well,
1: that is turning babies into commodities, isn't it?
3: It is allowing parents to avoid having seriously ill babies. Now, if you think that's turning babies into commodities, one way to look at it, I'm a parent of two, I am very, very fortunate that neither of my kids had a serious genetic disease, but I've known people who have had kids with serious genetic diseases, and avoiding that is, I think, not an immoral thing. Avoiding that is a good thing. The hair color, eye color, skin color, boy or girl. You know, I think some countries will legislate against it, some countries won't. But ultimately that's relatively trivial compared to avoiding disease.
1: What about sex selection? What about sex selection? I don't want...
3: Sex selection is a really interesting one. I think there will be people who want to do it. Um, Certainly there are countries, particularly in Asia, but not exclusively in Asia, where that's happened and it's overwhelmingly choosing boys. So there's a little bit of evidence that that tide is beginning to turn in places like South Korea. In the U.S., at least anecdotally, it looks like if parents have any preference at all, it's slightly for girls. Now, do I care whether parents choose to have a boy first and a girl second or a girl first or a boy second? Not particularly. If we have 80% boys and 20% girls, that's a problem. And what that's about some that needs to be watched?
1: What about someplace like China where they where they are relaxing the one child uh, per family policy but uh, obviously a huge emphasis on on having a boy there and they are they are experiencing tremendous demographic problems they have millions and millions of single men uh, with no partners no prospect of finding a partner uh, well, of course
3: that- with one point yeah with 1.3 billion people they got millions and millions of everything but in the 20s and 30s They do have about 20% more men than women, and that's an issue. Um, And that's something, although interestingly it looks like that may be turning around, at least in the urban areas of China, I think moving from the one-child policy to a more-than-one-child policy probably helps that because parents, if they'd only had one child, really wanted to have a boy, but now um, they can have one of each or maybe even two girls. I, you know, I think that's a problem to be watched. It'll vary from country to country and culture to culture. doesn't look like it's a problem in uh, the U.S. doesn't look like it's a problem in Canada. There was a report a few years ago that it was a problem in Canada, but when you looked at the numbers, they were talking about maybe 40 more boys born than girls in Asian immigrant populations in Canada. It wasn't a big deal. So, yes, there are things to be worried about, Sex selection is one of them. I think the biggest one, actually, is fairness and equity. Can everybody get this? It's not making super babies. It's making babies that would be, I don't know, 10 to 15% healthier than regular babies, um, which is an advantage that rich kids already have over poor kids. Adding that on is a bad thing and needs to be watched. The issues about sex equality need to be watched. Personally, I think the hardest are issues around disability equality.
1: Exactly. That was well, my next question. Uh, let me just remind listeners, Hank Greeley is with us. He, is, uh, he chairs the steering committee for the Stanford Center for Biomedical Ethics, and he is the author of The End of Sex. He contends that within 30 years, we will no longer uh, have sex to procreate, and this will all be done in a lab um even the uh, one of the the creators of um this technology for uh, it's called crispr this gene editing tool yeah. is is um is waving all sorts of red flags you know almost wishing she could put the genie back in the bottle uh because of where she fears this is going and you mentioned the disabled yeah. um we could have you know um for example people in the in the in the deaf community they they consider themselves to be a community uh and and you know what happens if people have the, the choice of selecting uh, an embryo that, you know, that is um, you know not going to be hearing impaired, or what about dwarfism, for example?
3: So I think the deaf one's really interesting. We've had kind of a trial run of that with a technology called um, cochlear implants, yes, which allows profoundly deaf people to hear, and it's been very controversial in the yes. deaf community. Yes, they're
1: often shunned by the deaf community.
3: Some parents have wanted it. Some parents haven't wanted it. I actually think with the deaf and with with, uh, dwarfs, particularly the most common variety of little people, chondroplasics, my own hope is that parents who want a deaf child or who want an chondroplasic child should be able to do that. I worry more about the government telling parents, you can't have the kid you want. You can't have the child like you because we think that's a bad life. Now, That's not going to happen with things like Tay-Sachs disease, where the babies are born healthy and die inevitably within three years. But there are a few disabilities, a few things that, that that, that people without them consider disabilities, like deafness, like achondroplasia, the most common form of dwarfism, that I think reasonable people may well want. And I think they should have that choice, but of course the fact that most people will not choose that does have to be um, isolating to them. I remember doing a conference a few years ago, and a woman who was brilliant, a Stanford graduate, 28, with a, mus- with a genetic disease called spinal muscular atrophy, said, in the world you envision, I would not exist. Exactly. And I wanted to say, you know, yeah, you'd exist. Your parents would have just chosen a you that didn't have your disease. I said that. Knowing that that was not a good answer, right? And she nailed me. She said, "Without my disease, I am not me."
1: Mm. Um, Excellent point. I think
3: so. I think the disability issues are really, really hard. And I think we'll, in this world that I think is coming, not a hundred percent. You know, I don't think any place will ever do this hundred percent. Seventy percent, eighty percent. Different countries will do it at different rates. The Vatican City isn't going to legalize it anytime soon. Germany has a lot of historical baggage about human genetics; mm. they won't do it. The U.S., Australia, Singapore, Taiwan, China. Well, South when Korea. it comes to eugenics,
1: uh, Mr. Greeley, we, n- n- no one in North America can, can, can sort of claim the high road. Both the United States and Canada uh, both yeah. <laughs> dabbled heavily in eugenics. Of course, we had you know uh, children that were right. deemed to be um, you know uh, idiots were uh, at the time, it's a ho- horrible uh, phrase, but that's what they used, yeah. and they they were sterilized. Uh, and, and
3: my state did that more than any place else other than Germany. Um, California has a terrible record of that. But I, I would argue that there's a difference between the government saying, we think you've got a genetic disease, so we're going to sterilize you and not allow you to have kids, from parents saying, well, you know, we'd rather have the child who doesn't have a genetic disease to the child who does. Nobody can guarantee anybody a healthy baby. They're all Sorts of things that can go terribly wrong that have nothing to do with genetics. But I don't, I, I, I wouldn't, I couldn't condemn a parent who said, I want to avoid the diseases that I can avoid. Sure. Almost like vaccination in a way.
1: Right. Uh, you, you raise an ex- another excellent point, and that is um, one of the hardest things about this will be the divorces that come about when <laughs> one partner wants embryo number 15 and the other wants embryo number 64.
3: You know, that was partially ingest, but, but there's a real point there. You can look at, with today's technology, let alone 30 years from now, you could look at 6,000 different traits. And how in the world are you going to weigh 20% higher risk of diabetes against 10% risk, lower risk of schizophrenia, mm-hmm. against 15% higher risk of obesity, against 25% better risk of a higher chance of good mass ability, how are you going to make those decisions? I think that's going to be really hard. Right now, we just roll the dice blindly and take what we get. With the ability to choose comes responsibility for your choice and comes the possibilities of regret and guilt and um, wishing you'd made some other decision. I think that could be a real issue in family dynamics going forward, let alone the kid who says, and you know, the parents say, well, we chose you because we thought you'd be a great quarterback. What What do you mean you want to be a poet?
1: Right.
3: Um, there are all sorts of problems that can arise.
1: What about, um, um, well, I think you, you nailed it there. I guess that's where I was heading is, is how do you weigh that? This, this embryo may have a slight chance of, uh, you know, when when the baby arrives of uh, getting diabetes versus schizophrenia, right. etc. That is going to be a moral quagmire. Are any jurisdictions, actually, any states, for example, um, addressing this with, with rules and regulations? Or is this the Wild West at this point?
3: So, at least in the U.S., it's the Wild West. No state that I know of has any laws concerning what can be done through this process called pre-implantation genetic diagnosis. What I'm predicting is a vast expansion and a, a che- uh, less cost, more ease, less risk of pre-implantation genetic diagnosis. It's been done for 27 years. You take a few cells from an embryo, test those cells, and they tell you about the embryo. Um, last year, the, for the last year, we've got records for in, in the U.S. About 5,000 kids were born after PGD. That's out of 4 million total births, so it's small. I think it's going to get bigger. It's not legislated in the U.S. Lots of countries have legislated about it, and I'm ashamed to admit that I I don't remember right now what Canada's law is on it. But, for example, both Italy and Germany banned it. But court decisions in both countries forced them to allow it at least for the avoidance of serious disease. So I think some countries will say, yeah, you can use this to avoid serious disease. Then, of course, the country has the problem of defining what's serious and what's not, some countries will say you can use it for everything but sex. You can have sex selection. You can use it for everything except cosmetics. I think there will be a lot of strange, interesting laws. But one of the problems with regulating this is when you've got a, a world with over 200 countries, if you don't like your country's law, how hard is it to go on vacation to the Grand Caymans and get the embryo you want? Exactly, yes. I think reproductive tourism is going to be a di- big deal. Hank Greeley. It already is. is It's going to get bigger.
1: Hank Greeley, uh, thank you so much for this.
3: Hey, this was a great pleasure. I uh, really enjoyed your um, uh, very thoughtful questions.
1: Thanks so much. He is the uh, chair of the steering committee for the Stanford Center for Biomedical Ethics and the author of The End of Sex. When we come back, the results of our remote viewing experiment and mailbag. Stay with us. Curiosity? Or did the devil make you do it? Whatever the reason, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. All right. Welcome back. Uh, Just ahead, we've got uh, Jeffrey Smith, the author of Seeds of Deception. And uh, we'll uh, tackle the GMO controversy once again, of course, at the uh, top of the hour. Open lines and then... Rosemary Ellen Guiley, our resident paranormal investigator-researcher, the author of nearly 70 books. And um, we'll take a look at some of the uh, the wild and unusual stories. Uh, we call it the Paranormal News Roundup. Uh, first of all, uh, let's take care of our What's in the Box, our weekly remote viewing experiment. And um, let's let's go around the horn here. First of all, in the other room, Ian Robertson, my fine rockabilly friend.
4: What's hello, in the Box? Hello. Yes. Uh, I'm I'm not so much seeing something, but I'm getting the vibe that it shouldn't fit in the box.
1: It shouldn't fit in the box, yeah. but it does.
4: Yeah, so maybe it's like a miniature of something.
1: Oh, I interesting point. Interesting. Like a toy right. car. A toy car. I like that. Yeah. Okay. All right.
4: Albert? All right. Uh, I put Bumpy and Echoes, and I tweeted at you a golf ball. Mm-hmm. I, I, name things are I guess again. <laughs> bumpy and Echoes. What do you mean by Echoes? Uh, the sound it makes, that it, sort of, it seems like someone's hitting it or oh, something.
1: Oh, I see what you're saying. All right. Okay. And uh, finally, over to you, Ryan. You know, maybe it's because I was
3: doing a, a lot of laundry today, but I see like an old cloth texture, an old rag, and maybe a handkerchief, something like
1: that. I think you said that last week and the week before, and maybe even the week before. No. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> All right. What are, they, what are the folks saying on Twitter? Again, the hashtag uh, is tcs remote
3: well, we've got a lot of good guesses uh, drew thinks it's a tuning fork
4: mm-hmm.
3: uh, seven flamingos thinks it's a combination lock daniel a red wooden pencil um chip a pencil or cigarette the ghost of ulp a crayon a lot of writing utensils uh yy scissors or a toy squirt gun durko thinks it's chopsticks Ralph, a copy of the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> L- Leo Bien thinks it's a magnet. Paul thinks it's a
1: pack of chewing gum. And Mojo Family thinks it's a hot wheel car. All right. Who said the combination lock? The combination is seven flamingos? lock. Seven flamingos. Seven flamingos. Wow. Okay. Here's what we've got. We reach in and we find it is not a combination lock, but a lock nonetheless. Wow. Seven flamingos. All right. Um please reach out to us uh seven flamingos and um provide us with an email address and we'll get in touch and we'll arrange for some fabulous conspiracy show merchandise to get mailed out to you. Well done. You know, we had quite a dry spell there for a while, didn't we, Albert? Nobody was uh, coming close. Yeah and then somebody nailed Tiedlock. it. Yeah.
4: All right. Uh what's in the mailbag, Albert? Oh, we've got a full mail. We've got a full mailbag. Uh, the first one is from Phil, who is also a private investigator. And he writes, good afternoon, Richard. Love your show. Always interesting. A couple of weeks ago, you had on a T.I., a woman from Stony Creek. I own a private investigation agency in Ontario for the past 22 years. Recently, I've been approached by three people, all unknown to each other. Uh, they... None of these people uh, were aware of the term T.I., but...
1: uh, Which means targeted individual. These are people who believe they're being harassed and uh, tortured, essentially, remotely uh, with electronic, uh, um, you know, some sort of electromagnetic
4: device. Right, gang stalking and so on. However, they claimed incidents were happening in their lives that matched perfectly with the T.I. phenomenon. Hmm. In in a case like this, I always conduct an in-depth interview to determine credibility. Um, the female subjects were older and one was unemployed, the other a part time employment, indicating low visibility lifestyle. Uh, n- neither are involved in lawsuits or insurance claims uh, and have no idea who or why. Uh, for example, an ex spouse. You know, no reason why they would yeah. be under intense surveillance. Well, few victims do know. Uh, like your Stony Creek caller, both of the subjects had limited financial resources so could not retain my services. Mm-hmm. I directed both to file complaint with the police. They, they did so, however, prior to seeing me. However, the police did not take them seriously. Uh, for a number of reason, reasons, I authorized limited counter-surveillance on the subjects. There were many interesting things going on. However, because of the cost of conducting operations, the counter-surveillance was limited. It's strange that in 22 years of private investigations, I would be approached by three people, all making the claims of being under surveillance by a group of unknown people. I just want to share this information with you, knowing the TI phenomenon is a subject that you cover.
1: There you go. So a a private investigator who had three clients or... People approach him anyway over his 22-year career who believed that they were being targeted, and he did some limited surveillance. I guess, I guess it was sort of pro bono uh, and found some interesting things, although we didn't elaborate. Now, speaking of which uh, targeted individual, L- Albert, you've been very hard at work lining up. Next next week, we're doing a special, the full two hours on TIs. Tell us right. about that. Who's on the program?
4: We, we've got John Rapoport and and the pundit we've had on before, Dr. John Hall. Also,
1: an th- expert, John Hall, is an expert in in targeted individuals and has written extensively about this. And he's a pain management uh, physician who who has dealt with many of these so-called victims.
4: And we've got Michael Fitzhugh Bell back, who's a, a victim,
1: a very high-profile um, alleged victim of yes.
4: And uh, Roger from Bug Sweep confirmed. He's Roger Tulsis. The- Correct. He's the specialist on, you know, how to defend and the practical solutions that work. He's the half hour, the last half hour. All
1: right. Good job. Excellent. All right. We have anything else? We have time for one more?
4: There's another mailbag. Uh, It's from Daniel, and he's saying, I've listened to several podcasts a day. Um, I have yet to hear predictive programming, and I was hoping that's a topic you can cover. If you're unfamiliar, there's a YouTuber, Odd Reality. He demonstrates over 60 examples of predictive programming on 9-11 alone. I hope you check it out. Uh, this is, I hope this is a topic you will have in the future.
1: That's a great idea. We've never done anything about predictive programming. Uh, we may have hinted at it. it it's interesting, Daniel, that you sent that email because just today our good friend Nelson Thaler, media scientist friend who joins us from time to time, sent me a YouTube video on exactly that. It was a clip from Back to the Future uh, which sort of predicts the 9-11 attacks so uh yeah there's some great examples of of that there's several from the simpsons uh and um a a tv series that was a spin-off of the um of um the x-files called the lone gunman and uh, they did an episode which some say say was predictive programming again about 9-11 so yeah we definitely should do that all right, uh, let me just remind uh, listeners that uh, our YouTube channel, we are trying to get to 10,000 subscribers. So please, check us out. You can stream the show live on YouTube, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Hit the subscribe button. Back with Jeffrey Smith and GMOs right after this.
0: If you're sure your phone isn't tapped, call now.
1: or toll free at 1-866-740-4740 welcome back. Uh, We are reaching out to uh, Jeffrey Smith, uh, the author of Seeds of Deception and uh, also the founding executive director of the Institute for Responsible Technology or IRT to talk about GMOs. And uh, he's not picking up on the other end, so we'll keep working on that. In the meantime, uh, seven flamingos. Was that uh, was that the fellow uh, Ryan that uh, yep, who, uh, seven flamingos. Remote, remote viewed a, a, combination, a combination lock? lock and uh, let me just uh, try to open up my cigar box here again. And this is what we had again. It was a uh, not a combination lock, but a little padlock, a, um, a key lock, and. Um, if you could reach out to us seven flamingos if you're on if you're following me on Twitter, just direct message me with your uh, contact information and then we'll get that uh, we'll get something nice out to you a mug or a t shirt or a phone phone case we'll be in touch all right while we're trying to reach Jeffrey Smith, I also want to draw to your attention a couple of things number one uh the mighty Aphrodite back at uh, home headquarters is uh working on a uh, on a poll and um it's up there now on, uh, on the Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett. And we're asking you to respond uh, to, well, it's this whole Omar Cotter uh, compensation, $10 million and an apology, uh, which many of you, well, some of you may find uh, odious, as I do, and others may applaud, uh, applaud the liberals for doing this. However, um, the, uh, the poll is up there, and we'd love for you to respond. The question is, was the Liberal government of Canada correct to give Omar Khadr a formal apology and $10 million in compensation? And uh, you can, you can, uh, there's a number of choices. You can click on that it was a treasonous act. Um, the other option is he was a terrorist and he was tortured. So... Please go to at Richard Serrett and uh, respond to our online poll, and we'll be tracking that uh, throughout the rest of the night. We'll give you the results. All right. The other thing that's interesting is uh, I believe today is the anniversary of the murder of DNC volunteer worker, campaign worker Seth Rich. Here we are a year later, and still no closer to uh, the truth. No answers. It seems to be at this point pretty much a cold case. We're not getting. Any indication from the Washington police, uh, you know, that they have any leads whatsoever. Private investigators and Julian Assange of WikiLeaks have offered rewards and they are not getting any information. This is very odd. This is perhaps the the oddest thing, uh, is that normally when you offer a reward, you get, you get people calling. They have the phone ringing off the hook. Even they're they're giving uh, misinformation. They're just, uh, you know, hearsay anything. But they're not. It's just total silence. It's like nobody wants to get close to this thing. So we'll uh, we'll have to uh, reconvene a panel again on uh, Seth Ridge because we're not going to let it go. This is this is a story that deserves to be uh, pursued and investigated, uh, no matter where it leads. If it was a botched robbery, then so be it. If it was a serial killer, as some researchers claim, then so be it. If it was a contract killing, then we need to know that, too. All right. No sign of uh, Jeffrey Smith at this point. So I think what I will do is we will start our uh, our open line segment a little bit early. Why don't we do that? We are uh, putting out the word to Jeff to, uh, to give us a call, if he can hear us, if he's in uh, listening... If he's listening to his radio. Anyway, let's proceed. And we'll uh, give out the phone lines. Open lines now until the bottom of the hour. So we can work in a few calls before the top of the hour. 416-360-0740 in the Greater Toronto Area. 416-360-0740. And toll free from just about anywhere. 1-866-740-4740. 866 740 Four 740. And perhaps you would like to talk about the uh, the liberal government giving a formal apology to a uh, convicted terrorist, Omar Khadr, uh, and a $10 million compensation package. Meanwhile, uh, the widder, widow of the uh, the soldier who was uh, killed by Khadr with a, a hand grenade on the battlefield in Afghanistan, is left high and dry in fact it would appear that her efforts uh, to gain to gain access to some of that 10 million dollars was was blocked by the government because it was sort of done in the uh in the dead of night so to speak just before the prime minister whisked off to uh, great britain prior to the G20 summit Odious, to say the least, as far as I'm concerned. All right, if you'd like to weigh in on that, please do. If, uh, if there's something you'd like to talk about regarding the uh, the recent G20 meeting in Germany, uh, Donald Trump's speech, President Trump's speech in Poland, his meeting with uh, Putin, we can talk about all those things. And, of course, we still uh, welcome calls regarding uh, UFOs and uh, just about anything that we would normally discuss here on The Conspiracy Show, 416-360-0740 in the Greater Toronto Area. And toll-free, once again, from out of town, 1-866-740-4740. All right, let's say hi to Ryan in Stouffville. Ryan, good evening. Welcome.
5: Hey, Richard. How are you doing tonight,
1: man? I'm all right, my friend.
5: Yeah, I was looking forward to your guest, but hopefully he comes through, but, you know, things happen. So I get to talk to you. You got it. My one question is just about numerology. I was thinking, uh, I was going back in uh, an old record collection and listening to the police murder by numbers. Ah. And I stumbled upon something with, like, numerology and, you know, kind of things of those weird coincidences of, like, down-to-dates, right?
1: Right, right, yes.
5: So I just, I don't know, like, I'm not too familiar, so, you know, you can get lost in the Internet, but I just want to know from, uh, because you're a wise man, like... What, what do you know about numerology and that kind of thing?
1: Well, uh, I don't know a lot. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm familiar, for example, with the Pythag- Pythagorean screed. So you assign a number to a letter, so A becomes 1, B becomes 2, C becomes 3, and so forth. And so uh, when you spell out a word, then it has a, um, a number value attached to each letter in the word, and therefore the word has a number. Uh, and some people believe that... Uh, uh, that number that's associated with the word gives that word certain certain power, I suppose. Uh, a name, for example, then has a, a number value. Uh, and uh, you know numerologists um, ascribe certain attributes to certain numbers. So if your number is a 7, then you have a certain attribute. If it's a 9, so forth. I'm not that familiar with what those attributes are. Do I put a lot of stock in it? Um, let me say this. As a, as a Christian, I, I, I mean, numerology for me is not, uh, it's not top of mind. It's not something no. that I put a lot of faith in. However, um, working with numbers, for example, um, in the Bible, there are certain codes in the Bible, I believe, uh, that, that pertain to certain numbers. Uh, and there's a whole book of the Bible, of course. That is uh, about numbers, right? The Book of Numbers, yes. and there's a lot of interesting things happening in in the Book of Numbers. Uh, and um, I'll have to get Chuck Misler back on the program because he does a wonderful job. He's written a whole book about this called "The Cosmic Codes."
5: Okay, awesome.
1: Not just about Bible codes um, that we think of, you know, repeating words and so forth, and um, uh, in, in the Hebrew in the Hebrew Bible, but also the use of numbers in the Bible. What's uh, his name again? Sorry, Richard. Chuck Misler, M-I-S-S-L-E-R. <S-L-E-R>, okay. Chuck Misler. The book is called The Cosmic Codes. Uh, the other, the other aspect uh, of numbers that I find fascinating is repeating numbers. I, I think a lot of people are are sort of haunted or followed by certain numbers. For example, yeah. for me, every time I, I look at a, at a digital clock, it seems to be ten ten.
5: Well, I often see eleven eleven and double numbers. Right. Quite oftenly, and then I read in it on there said they were like. Maybe angels or spirits or frequencies or maybe that's just coincidence.
1: Someone described but, that phenomenon as that the universe is trying to speak to you. I don't know what that means exactly, but uh, yeah, for me it's ten ten. For you it's eleven eleven. Uh, it, but hey, listen, numbers are fascinating. Ryan, who was um, Albert? Who was that fellow that we had on uh, uh, that talks about um, ma- uh, numbers? Um, Do you know the guy I'm talking about? He talks about sacred geometry and a lot of that stuff. Oh,
4: Scott Onstott.
1: Yes. Scott Onstott, okay. Yes, we'll have to have him back on.
4: Well,
5: you know what, guys? I love your show, and uh, your guests are awesome, and it's pretty cool when you get to be on uh, coast-to-coast, but I tune in to Sundays, and it's a privilege, and keep doing what you're doing.
1: All right, Ryan and Stouffville, thank you.
5: Oh, thank you, too.
1: All right. Uh, We are, um, I don't think we'll have time for another call. We're coming up on a break, but we will. If you've got a line, hold on to it, and then back on the other side. And we'll take open lines to the bottom of the hour. And then, of course, we'll be joined by our paranormal investigator, Rosemary Ellen Guiley. And we've got uh, some great stories in store for you, including a Soviet circus clown. Not sure how far back this story goes. Uh, this is one from the archives. But a Soviet circus clown who tried to prove that dogs are psychic. And then, can't wait to talk about this one, actor Rob Lowe. Wasn't he one of the Brat Pack a member of the Brat Pack. Well, Rob Lowe has a new reality show, I believe, with his sons, and it's kind of an outdoor adventure program. And uh, he claims that he recently had a very close encounter, a frightening encounter with a Bigfoot. We'll talk to Rosemary as well about that. All right, open lines on the other side. Stay with us. The Conspiracy Show, back with more. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away.